It's no secret the NFL has a problem with race. Think Colin Kaepernick. Think Brian Flores. But this isn't a new problem. It's one that started as far back as the 1930s, with a ban on Black players in the NFL, with a past that informs the present. Blackballed is a new miniseries podcast from The Ringer about the four men who broke the color barrier in football. I'm your host, Chelsea Stark-Jones. Blackballed is dropping soon on The Ringer NFL feed. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. On today's episode of One Shining Podcast, it is the Sweet 16 Day 2 edition. And I know on the last show I was by myself and I told you about our co-host Kyle Mann was under the weather. And I made some promises about how Kevin O'Connor, KOC, was going to join me on the show. And little did I know I was going to wake up to a text from Kevin O'Connor and he's sick too. I don't know what is going around, Kyle. Are people trying to avoid me? Did they not know what's happening? College basketball is happening. The March Madness tournament is happening, Kyle. But th- nobody wants to talk to me. I think he thought of the prospect of sitting on that couch in the cavernous third floor of the right. Spotify building. They were like, you know, I think I'm sick. Taylor. Yeah, he looked in Google Maps. <laughs> he put in the address and he said, an hour and a half away, I think I'm not feeling well. And look, we don't blame you, KOC. But the good news, if you're just tuning in, you don't have to listen to me ramble on like you did last night. You get to have Kyle Mann back because just as KOC was not feeling well, Kyle Mann was feeling better. He's going to join us because we had a historic day in college basketball for the first time in Elite Eight history. There will be no number one seeds in the Elite Eight. That's right. Uh, also, if you're a fan of Jim Nance and you're a fan of the Houston Dream, the dream is dead. There will be no dance dance. Unfortunately, Houston is out. We're going to talk all about the one seeds, Houston going down, Alabama, the number one overall seed going down. Like I said, Kyle Mann is going to be back. Uh, we're going to power rank the historic Elite Eight that we have. We're going to talk about all the experience in the tournament. We might talk about, you know, Coach Laranega dancing and Jerome Tang dancing to, to you know, Little Baby. There's a whole bunch of stuff going on in college basketball. And the good thing, if you're a fan of college basketball and have been a fan for a long time, college basketball team still can't handle his own defense. So, uh, you know, things are changing. Their blue bloods are not playing uh, late in March, but also things are similar. And we still got a great tournament. Uh, we got a lot to talk about. We're going to recap the entire day two of the Sweet 16. Um, we're not going to go to Vegas, by the way. Kyle and I are going to stay here. We're going to stay locked in at Spotify. I'm going to keep drinking this cold brew coffee. Uh, is there anything else, Kyle, before we get into the show? Uh, shout out to the Race of 69 and Kyle's guys are dropping like flies. But first, Woody Durham. He takes the timeout. Technical foul. Timeout. Technical foul. Technical foul. 
All right, it is Friday, March 24th. It's 9.23 Western Pacific Standard Time. That's what they say. My head is spinning right now, if you can't tell, because we are in the second day of the Sweet 16. Last night, Kyle Mann, uh, who is joining me right now, he is feeling better. But last night, I talked to myself like I was Tom Hanks in Castaway. Um, and almost lost my mind while doing it. So luckily he is healthy. He is here and uh, he's happy to talk about basketball. And his name is Kyle Mann from The Ringer. What's going on, Kyle? Good to see you, man. It's good to see you too. When you said 923, I felt like an arrow hit my heart, like a <laughs> like a lifestyle arrow. You were just, I was just like, Jesus Christ. I was like, it's almost one. It's fine. You know, I do it every year. I kind of plan for this with the tournament and the playoffs and stuff. It's like, you're going to be staying up late. That's the price. That's the price you pay for, for the price you don't pay to live out West. It's cheaper here, Tate, but we do pay in other ways, you know? Yeah. And it does feel like I'm, it's a little bit uh, of a thing where the West coast is getting bias. And when I was younger, it felt like the East coast had the bias, but it feels like as I'm getting older and maybe it's because I'm on the West coast now, but the games seem like they're suited and tailored toward the West coast viewer, as opposed to the East coast viewer and uh you know I, w- I wanted to say that i sympathize i can't empathize anymore but i can't sympathize with the situation and i appreciate you being a trooper i appreciate you uh helping me out because i need someone to talk through this crazy tournament with because uh as we know this is chaos this is bedlam this is madness whatever term you want to use this is the oldest tournament ever. You and I talked about that uh, going into the tournament. We had the most veteran teams. We had a lot of conversations about who was going to come out of this tournament. And uh, right now we have no one seeds for the first time in Elite Eight history. So that says something about how insane this is. So I wanted to ask you a, a simple question, Kyle, man. Is this the most insane tournament ever? I think it has to be. We saw we saw a 16 seed go down. We saw a 15 seed go to the Elite Eight. Like you said, all the one seeds are out now. No no one seeds in the Elite Eight. Um, it it really is, and I think that you you probably I, I was sitting here just sort of like you know uh, you know just sort of stroking my beard trying to figure <laughs> out like why I didn't have a pipe. I thought about it. I'm not allowed to smoke inside, but and I don't really smoke pipes. But I was just thinking, um, why why. Why, Tate? Why is this happening? And and I was, I even had a moment where I was like, you know, we're both blue bloods. Yeah, we have generations of sort of support on, on our in our fan base, and this is a cultural thing. And I did have a moment where I was like, are we in trouble? Are we in trouble here? <laughs> like because because like is this threatening the the very foundations of of the blue blood kind of hierarchy, or is it just that like is this like a Promethean thing where the fire, you know, has been stolen from the gods and like, I, and everybody's going to be able to have a good time now and win some games. Like my suspicion is you mentioned the thing about the oldness of the tournament and it, I guess it's just the COVID year thing. So, I, I mean, I'm trying to, I was trying to think of like how long out uh, transfers and COVID. Like if you looked at like South uh, San Diego state, I looked at like seven of their top nine in the rotation I know we're going to talk more about the game. We're seniors. The other two were juniors, but I think like seven of the nine were also uh, transfers. Um, so I guess you kind of just have to look at it. Like if you started in 2020 and, to, and we go to like what, 2024, anybody that played during that time period is going to get a COVID year. So we might get continue to get, you know, maybe the transfer thing dies down a little bit, but I know that the NCAA is going to be cracking down on like two time undergrad transfers you know, maybe we continue to get madness like this as some of these higher, you know, programs, it just kind of becomes this like trickle down developmental thing where the, the, the high majors are just going to be super old. 
Uh, yeah. Or we're going to get these random teams that are super old, like San Diego State, and uh, it's just going to be bedlam and madness. Like you said, it it might not stop. Yeah, experience wins. I think that was my big takeaway. You know, if that was the, the motto of the day, it's experience wins. And that's kind of been the thesis statement of this entire tournament. And as we've kind of, you know, played things out and played these games out, we keep seeing that over and over. And, you know, let's talk about this Alabama team because that was the first game of the day. We got the one seed coming out. It's in Louisville, Kentucky, which is where you are right now. So it's in your backyard. You know, you got great basketball right there. And, you know, going into this game, if you watch all the preview stuff, right, the conversation was this is Brandon Miller who struggled in his first game, you know, seemed to be kind of finding his footing, uh, had 19 points in his second game. Um, and it was going to be Brandon Miller and it was going to be Matt Bradley, right? These are going to be the two guys that go after it. They're going to be the stars of the day. And immediately, if you're watching this game, um, you already knew that we were going off script, right? Because Alabama struggled. Um, it was a rock fight to start. They shoot 27% in the first half. They have seven turnovers. Brandon Miller um, gets two quick fouls, and he almost got a third foul. And it probably should have been a foul on him, but it turns out it wasn't, you know, whistled on him. But, uh, you know, they they go to Nate Oates, and Nate Oates, they ask him about the two fouls with Brandon Miller, and he says, you know, look, we, if we lose, we go home. And as soon as he said that, yeah. Kyle, man, I said, oh, my God, Nate Oates is actually worried about San Diego State. And uh, this is what we like to call a muck fest. In college basketball, this was a, a, a muck of a first half. And immediately as this game started, you saw the experience. You saw the physicality. And I think you saw Nate Oates look at his team and say, oh, man, I think we might be young. Is that what you saw? Yeah, and I saw it's funny that um, people kept saying over and over again. I just want to say, too, that like I love Brian Dutcher's like how expressive he is. He is right. hilariously expressive. I was telling you, he kind of seems like... Uh, uh, he seems like a Kurt Russell character. Like he's just, he always has this, like, uh, this very like expressive thing, but people kept saying like over and over again that like, this was playing out exactly like you wanted. This is exactly what Dutcher wanted. And I think that like, you just saw a lot of great, I, one of the main themes that I saw tonight was we saw some modern philosophy, which is, you know, a, a heavy three point attack. But I think what the, the key thing that we saw is like, yes, you need to be able to shoot threes like Alabama does, San Diego State does, but you need to be able to pressure the ball. And I think that that's the thing that like took Kansas out. And I think ultimately that's the thing that kind of had Am Alabama on their heels a little bit tonight. And uh, the hustle from San Diego State's big guys, they had a balanced attack on the year. This is one of the most productive like bench units in the country, 96 percentile, and they get 25.8 points per game from their bench tonight. They got 28 points from their bench. Bama only got 16. So you want to talk about maturity? Um, it was just a constant, constant attack. Um, and another thing that I, that I think is key is that um, whenever there's an upset, you know, whenever a team is playing really physical, the way, the way that San Diego state does the way that Miami did tonight, um, the way Texas took down, wasn't an upset the way they took down Xavier, which we'll talk about. There's always that moment where the the top dog, the 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 team that is the favorite, a call doesn't go their way, and you can kind of see a little frustration in their eyes where they're just like, "Oh, it's going to be like this tonight," and they just kind of, I and it's sort of a it's a like a karma win, an energy win for the underdog, and I felt like there were several moments like that for San Diego State tonight. Yeah, I the one that I go back to, and the one that immediately jumps out when you say that was when Matt Bradley goes down. Uh, he kind of gets slammed to the floor, right, and uh, it, it ends up the San Diego State bench. They react. 
They get a technical foul. Brian Dutcher goes crazy, right? He, he literally loses his mind. And, you know, I, I thought Matt Bradley was going to have a concussion at that point. And, you know, San Diego State gets teed up. Matt Bradley at that point was 0 for 6 from the field. He was struggling to get any sort of impact on the game. The only thing that was really working for San Diego State at this time was the hockey subs, right? Tremel's coming in off the bench. He's making an impact. You know, Micah Parrish, right? He had some moments in this game. So they had guys that were coming in and stepping up, but the stars weren't. But when Dutcher did that and he lost his mind, I don't know about you, Kyle, man, but you're talking about the forces and the energy and, and, and the good vibes, right? I felt like Dutcher sent a message right then that it, it, we're not going to be played with today. We're not going to be toyed with. That's not going to work. We're going to argue. We're, we're going to make sure you hear us. You're going to make sure that we're, we're here to win this game, right? That was the sentiment that I took away from that. And from there, it felt like San Diego State as a group just played you know, more physical, right? They, they played like they expected to win the game. He said that after their last game. He said, until someone outclasses us and shows us that they're better than us, let's just keep winning, right? I mean, we're not we're not supposed to win. This is the first Elite Eight in San Diego State history. You know, so this is this is foreign territory. The, the other part, as far as the mystic forces at play, right? It's Steve Fisher's birthday. <laughs> and when you think of San Diego State, you oh, think of yeah. Steve Fisher, right? So the fact that it was Steve Fisher's birthday, I love the way that Dutcher got fired up. Um, you know, the, the officials kind of it put a little bit of fire under the official, um, you know, and, and then from there, I thought the real game-changing play for San Diego State happened to be when Mark Sears goes out, right? Mark Sears was a stabilizing force for Alabama. He was kind of keeping those young guys engaged. Brandon Miller, I mean, he could just not throw it in the ocean in this game. And and Sears kind of kept them, you know, uh, you know, at bay, right? They, he kept them in the fight. But when he goes out with about 9.54 to play, Darian Trammell, I mean, and the rest of the San Diego State team, they just get on a roll. And, and that belief factor just continued to grow, right? And you saw like a rope you know, uh, started to get involved. You know, you saw Mensa, right, started to get involved. And all of a sudden, San Diego State's looking around and they're saying, these guys aren't the big bad wolves that we thought they were, right? This is the team that, you know, we we were told and all the newspapers said we have no chance. And that belief just started to build up. And all of a sudden, here we are, Alabama, the team that it felt like it was inevitable, right? We all thought Alabama was going to be in Houston. We all thought Alabama was on their way to a national championship. And we all had a little bit of a pit in our stomach, right, where it was a little unsettling about the conversations that were ahead. And San Diego State, I mean, they just passed the test with flying colors. There's no, there's no other way to say it. They just played good, connected basketball. And Alabama tried to fight back at the end. But in the end, this San Diego State team believes, and they've shown time and time again that they their defense, right, they're old, they're tough, and they defend. And that's a tough combination in the NCAA tournament. And it was a tough combination for Alabama. I mean, and, and you saw the tears, right? Betty Ako, I mean, emotional after the game. This Alabama team believed they were going to win the championship or at least, you know, make it to the Final Four, win the regional. So I think there's a shock factor to all this, too. And the only people that probably weren't shocked was Brian Dutcher in San Diego State. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of like old school, like down the line Michigan connects here, too, because Dutcher coached under uh, Steve Fisher at Michigan, as a lot of people I'm sure know. But um, you mentioned something that I really love, uh, which is that moment of like, we're here, like we're not going to back down from you. Like uh, like there was a, um, 
and they can happen at different points during the game. Like there's also like the kind of the oh shit moments. Like I know in like 2002, the the Duke Indiana game when like Moye blocked you right. know, Carlos Boozer. That was the moment. That was kind of the moment where the blood dripped down their cheek, and you were like, oh, they're mortal. Um, but or I was thinking about like uh, Kentucky upset Ohio State when they were the number one overall seed in 2011, and Jared Solinger. You know, was Josh Harrelson, Harrelson like threw the ball off Jared Solinger really hard, and we were all like, "Okay, like they're <laughs> they're not backing down from these dudes." It was a little gesture, but it mattered. Um, if if you're thinking about like this game though, uh, throughout the year, I mean, this is a team that has defended pretty well, and they continued to do that. You know, I think that's the thing that really threw Alabama off balance. They were 95th percentile and uh, 96.6 in defensive rating, um, and. I was really amused by how much Mensa just tormented Javon Quinterly throughout this game. Right. Like it, it seemed like he was really in Quinterly's head. Yeah. I mean, there was that you talked about like a moment in time where there were like kind of was like the, the blood underneath the eye. I felt like the double block, <laughs> right? It was a double block on Quinterly. Oh, yeah. And then all of a sudden the Aztecs go on this 12 0 run. They take the lead 51 48. And, you know, seven blocks in the second half. For, for San Diego State, that rim protection, we, we know we've been talking about the front court of Alabama, but Noah Clowney was completely out of this game, right? Noah Clowney was in foul trouble. I think he ended up fouling out at the end of this game. But, I mean, in general, he was just completely out of it. They tried to get Pringle involved. They tried to get Gurley involved. They tried to get Betty Yako involved. But surprisingly, the San Diego State front court was really the difference in this game, and especially the rim protection. And, you know, Sears came back into the game with about five minutes to play. He gave them a little bit of life. I, I think Sears was the the one shining hope, right, for Alabama that they could survive this game because he's that good of a guard. But it really was at the rim where, you know, it was like a boxing match, right? And every single time that <laughs> Alabama went up and, and they were trying to make something happen at the rim, Mensa or, you know, a rope or whoever it was just felt like they were there to meet him. And then at the end of the game, right, I talked about Matt Bradley and Brandon Miller. Matt Bradley finally gets his first field goal late in the game with about three minutes to go, makes some clutch free throws late. And all of a sudden you're like, okay, this is why we have this superstar, right? We, we do need a closer. Every team needs that guy. And Matt Bradley was MIA the entire game. But just when San Diego State needed someone to step up, he was right there. And, uh, you know, the rest is history. Yeah, and they were lucky, like we said, and that's that's where like a great bench, you got that little extra boost, like we said, if Bradley's having a tough night, you come in, and the, Darian Trammell, you you said it, I mean, he tied, he he scored 21 three other times this season, once against, and it was all, he got hot during like the November, December stretch against BYU and then Arizona and UNLV, so I mean, he's used, you know, he scored, I mean, they lost the game to Arizona, but he's used to putting up points against quality high major teams, and uh, and they got it from him tonight um yeah and another thing too is that like um you you mentioned you mentioned sears did he get poked in the eye i was like his face was all puffed up like the like the dad from encanto and i didn't know exactly what happened i didn't know if we needed it was a fingernail i believe like a sepapilla or something yeah it was was a it was a tip out and a fingernail i think got underneath his eye but when he went out of the game Oh, immediately the Aztecs went on a nine 2 run. Like that's how important he was as far as dictating the pace and keeping Alabama, you know, kind of just initiating the offense, right? They just looked out of sorts. They looked like freshmen, right? They looked like a young team in this game, which kind of ended up being, like I said, experience matters. It became a theme of the day where no matter what, it, it just kept coming back to these veteran guys, even like Ladie, right? Who came off the bench. 
he, he gave great minutes. <laughs> you know, I mean, he, he was a difference maker yeah. in this game. And if you haven't watched San Diego State very much, you're like, who's this guy, right? I mean, he, he and Trammell, right? You heard all the conversation going into the game, like about this guy or that guy. And it's like, well, those look like the two best players. They were they were the X factors. They were the glue guy, whatever you want to call it. They were the difference makers in this game. And to me, that was just, I mean, I mean, what a storyline. It just, it didn't really make any sense other than the fact that the Aztecs were experienced. They weren't afraid of it. And our guy, Ian Eagle, was on the call in Louisville. And even he, when he was calling it as, the, you know, I mean, Alabama made a little run. They cut it 66-64. Ladee missed a free throw down the stretch. And you could tell that Ian Eagle was starting to have that feeling of, okay, this is March. This is the number one overall seed. We know how <laughs> this goes, right? It looks like San Diego State has it in the bag and they're going to make one more run. But Alabama really had no answer. And I kept looking for Brandon Miller, Kyle. I really did. I kept looking for Brandon Miller yeah. in those moments, and he never showed up. Did he look physically right to you? That's what we were we were texting with some of our our, our other people, our ringer people, and I was like, if you want to make an excuse, I don't know if we're going to do the LeBron hand thing like we always joke about and say, like, <laughs> okay, he wasn't right. But, I mean, he was really impacting the game with his passing early on in the game. Don't want to get into much, like, prospect talk, but he did some pretty phenomenal stuff uh, off the dribble passing the, the ball. The left-handed right, passes, but, right? The left-handed passes were the big thing. I think that he, was the, the big takeaway. He away. made a... He made a couple live dribble left-handed passes in the pick and roll that like kids his size at his age just you shouldn't be able to do and shoot the ball well, <laughs> which he didn't do tonight and and uh, Alabama didn't do tonight. And it, like I was I was joking, there's always this thing in college basketball. Kentucky fans argue about it, like how many threes should we be taking? How how much do we need to shoot to win? Alabama, you know, they're they're sort of thing that they overwhelm people with. They were three for 27 from three tonight, 11.1%. Um, and they won the rebound battle, but it just ultimately, it wasn't enough because, uh, because you know, San Diego State also turned them over uh, more. Uh, yeah, or actually, yeah, well, they had more steals. They didn't have more turnovers. But ultimately, um, yeah, man, Alabama going home. Uh, Iron Eagle, I just want to say, A, should I be trying to have a beer with Ian Eagle? He's in oh, the he's the best. This feels like a good opportunity. Yeah, um, he was great. Also, I mean, he came on our show and Kyle fell in love with him. Our producer Kyle sitting right here. He's like Ian Eagle's the man. Yeah, he said nutmeg in a college game, and I don't, I don't think he's he's bringing a certain a certain thing, a something something to to the college game that I'm very excited about. It's new blood, you know. I've enjoyed. I grew up on Nance, you know. I know Nance isn't going to get the exact dance that he wanted in Houston because <laughs> Houston's out, which we'll talk about in a second, but. I uh, I'm excited about the Diane Eagle era because a he's funny. I know I know you remember the live ad reads they were doing last year for Coca Cola. And oh like, yeah, it was this weird script, and Ian Eagle was like the only one who understood the rhythm of it. Like he he was the only one. It was a bad script, and Ian Eagle elevated the material in a way that only he could. Um, and uh, I'm just I'm excited, Tate, about the Ian Eagle era. It's it's. Maybe my son Julian will will look back fondly on this. I'm I'm excited to to kick the door down and get get going. Yeah, and what a game for him to call. And also, like you said, I mean, he has some insane ad reads. Like especially when he's on TBS. Like they have this creator <laughs> league. I don't know if you've seen this, a creator basketball league. Yes. Our guy T Jazz is in it, so you know it's got to be good stuff. But Ian Eagle reads it like a champ every time. Like it's the most important thing on television. So that's what a true pro does. We appreciate him. He was a great friend of the program officially. Yeah, ground floor too. Right, ground floor. One of the one of the first 
guest. So he's official. He's locked in. I just wanted to, one more note I wanted to shout out about this game. First Mountain West team to make it to the Elite Eight. They were 0-6 as a conference and they since they joined uh, in 2000 in the Sweet 16. So the first Mountain West team to make the Elite Eight. So as much as the conversation will probably be about Alabama everywhere. We have to point out the fact that San Diego State's been knocking at the door for quite some time. When Kawhi mm-hmm. went on the run in 2011, it did feel like, you know, an, an anomaly of sorts, right? You had this transcendent player that was, you know, taking them to heights they had never seen. Now it almost feels like an expectation. I was even telling Kyle, like, I went down to the Vieja Center, and you go to the games there, and and they're expecting them to make noise in March at this point. And, uh, you know, they're, they're going to, you know, they're building up a new blood powerhouse here on the West coast. Well, they're yeah. And an- another thing they got going, we're both brand guys. Um, they got the Jordan thing going for right. them because of Kawhi. And I just want to say the, uh, the coaching staff over there looking fresh, I have to say looking really good. Uh, <laughs> you know, Dutcher had on the, the white cement threes. And if anybody wants to sell me a pair of white cement threes and a 13, I'm not going to use this show as a way, as a platform, uh, to get that done. Let's I would set, never do that. I'm above that. that. I like it. Yeah. It. Yeah. I mean, look, I would why never not? do that. <laughs> edit this out, Kyle. Uh, don't edit this out. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> you know, I just, I just wanted to put that out there that they were, they were looking good. They were looking good. They were having fun. Brian Dutcher won his first tournament game in this tournament. So it, it's all like good vibes, good faith, good, whatever you want to call it, because San Diego state, I mean, the Aztecs first and foremost, great mascot. You got Jordan brand oh, yeah. and you got a city that loves basketball, right? This is the hometown of Bill Walton. You know, you got Steve Lavin now at San Diego. So you got a nice little rivalry in the town of San Diego. It's all good things on the West Coast. Congratulations to San Diego State. And I will say, I know one coach that really wants that job, and it's probably his dream job, and his name is Eric Musselman. And if I'm a San Diego State fan, as soon as Brian Dutcher decides he wants to go into his, like, you know, administrative, you know, retirement role, we're calling the must bus because the must bus is a West Coast guy. He's not a South guy. <laughs> he, he's from the West Coast, loves the West think- Coast. And if he can go to a powerhouse new blood like San Diego State, sign him up all day, every day. You you don't you don't think he's gonna angle for like a like a like a powerful like a one of the even a fringe blue blood maybe in Arizona or something. I will, or, or I will, Tommy Lloyd is so in there. Tommy yeah. Lloyd's locked in, but the more that he continues to lose in the tournament, the more questions there will be because that's how Arizona fans and all fans of blue bloods or fringe blue bloods are. I will say I know on good word that Eric Musselman was up for the Arizona job, was a top priority pick for the Arizona job. And he told them, I need to know if you're going to be on probation. And they said, we got to wait and see what uh, the FBI says. And uh, Eric Musselman Musselman (laughs) said, thanks, but no thanks. I I will move on. So you're right. I think he eventually could go West Coast Blue Blood. We'll see about that. But let's talk about another number one team that went down, not just Alabama, but the number one team in our hearts, right? Because you mentioned the Nance dance. We all thought that there was a world in which that Jim Nance would be taken off his tie, giving it to Kelvin Sampson as he gets his redemption national championship in Houston. Jim Nance's final run, his last dance, last dance with Nance, the whole show, the whole shebang. And Jim Laranega said, Houston, you have a problem, and it's the Miami Hurricanes. We are here. And they absolutely (laughs) dominated this game in Kansas City. Nigel Pack, Isaiah Wong, Norchad O'Meara, Jordan Miller, all the dudes of Miami. They had 15 points off turnovers at the half. And this was just an absolute domination from Miami. I don't know what else to say about it, Kyle, man. I'm going to defer to you because I kept waiting for Houston to come to life, and they just couldn't find life. 
do you, what do you think of Nan, do you think Nance's call would have been he's all, he always has his pre-rehearsed call <laughs> you know I've heard different broadcasters sort of express their their opinion about that um just kind of you know making sure they get it in but they're memorable a lot of the time of I course mean, there are a few that I hate like when people say you can't you can and UConn has won you know but I mean uh, I think that was 99 good memory I hope uh, yeah I but, think so what do you think it was going to be what do you think it was going to be Houston? Like Houston no longer has a problem or yeah. something. I don't know. I it think, I think it's something. definitely, it's something with Houston and a problem. And I think, you know, there are no problems in Houston anymore or something like that. Or maybe he makes it about <laughs> yeah, himself. That was it. Yeah. Maybe he makes it about himself. I mean, that that's what we hope for. I think the one thing that showed me that Jim Nance was actually hurt was as this game was winding down and as he was realizing and it was setting <laughs> in that it was over, he literally started talking about Armando Baycott in Carolina and Grant Hill's like, are you kidding me? Like, why are you bringing up Carolina right now? And I'm like, I like that Jim Nance is taking subtle shots at his other color commentator because he's like, I feel he's like, if I'm in pain, we're all going to be in pain, you know? And that, that was a good moment in time for Jim Nance. <laughs> yeah. He's like, uh, you going to watch succession. He was just kind of wandering and changing the subject. It was, yeah, right. it was like, this is a crazy tournament, right? Yeah. We just, <laughs> let's move yeah. on. Those basketballs. <laughs> Yeah, right. These basketballs are slick yeah. and they look like they're over pumped. No wonder Houston can't win. Right. <laughs> that was that was the sentiment. But I mean, in general, you know, Kelvin Sampson, we got all the conversation about how great of a coach Kelvin Sampson is. We know how great of a coach he is. But this is the first time this season that a team has scored 80 or more points on Houston. And Miami did it and they, they could have scored 100. It felt like. Right. I mean, at the end, they're just they're, they're calling the dogs off on Houston and, you know, Jairus Walker was probably the most impressive, impressive player on Houston in this game. You know, he had a nice uh, dish to Jawan Roberts. He had a nice behind-the-back pass to Sasser. But these were, like, the only highlights, really, for Houston. And they kind of came with, you know, out w- without consequence, really, right? I mean, they, they got absolutely dominated. And even Nance during yeah. the broadcast, he said that, you know, Larinaga had called Jordan Miller, quote, the most underrated player in America. I think as we get closer to the Final Four, that that is becoming true. And he also said that Miami was underseeded as a five seed. And I 100% agree with that. You and I talked about that before the tournament started. And you and I both believed in Miami. So I just wanted to say to the Houston Cougars fans out there, this was a bad matchup and a bad draw for the Sweet 16. <laughs> That's all I want to say. Like Jim Nance, you you should feel like you kind of got screwed over a little bit here if you're a Houston fan. So I feel bad for the Cougs. Yeah, I do think that it was a, it was a tough matchup for them because a lot of the things that uh, that Houston does well uh, Miami does in a similar way and does better because if you start to I, you get the, you get the sense that you get the sense that Isaiah Wong and, and Nigel Pack saw this matchup of Sasser and Shed and they were like and, and it also you know who knows if if you're worried about you know your your health if you're worried about your hamstring or your groin or whatever it is this is a tough team to play because. Isaiah Wong has like, and I was like looking at the experience too. This is actually a fairly young team. Like mm-hmm. this is this is a group that's not as old, but that Wong is just a nasty. Like the torque that he gets on his dribble separation is maybe it's among the nastiest in college basketball. Like it like makes my knees hurt when I watch <laughs> him. Like when I when I watch him change direction, he just has that powerful like it's almost like a Dwayne Wadey Donovan Mitchell type power that he has in his athleticism. Uh, but I mean. The, one of the big things in this game is that um, Miami gets a lot of fast break points and they actually, as a team kind of tonight kind of reminded me, I'm going to pull, I'm going to pull speaking of Arizona, I'm going to pull a way back one here. 
this team kind of reminded me of that 97 Arizona team, mm. not specifically because of the, the guards, which the guards are a big part of it, but that Arizona team had very, they could pick their whole unit up and run in a, the drop of a hat. Like they were so fast. So, so they were super hard to guard. So like if you weren't getting back in transition, if your bigs were slow, they are just going to punish you. And that's how Miami plays uh, and throughout this night. And they got a big night from Nigel Pack. They got a big night from Wong. Um, but overall, um, it just kind of looked like, you know, Houston took the lead at about 832 in the first half and they never let again, Tate. Mm, yeah. And I, uh, you know, in this game, it felt like Houston tried to press Miami and that was a, oh, yeah. a dumb, dumb decision because everyone on Miami, Omir included, can handle the basketball, right? So you can't really press Miami. In fact, when you press Miami, that gives them lanes and transition, and that speeds the game up the way that they want the game to be sped up. So you kind of fell into a trap a little bit. Like, I, th I thought Samson was literally pressing and then got his team to press as well. Like, he was trying to do something to change kind of the flow of the game, the momentum of the game. And as soon as he did that, it caused a little bit of a problem for him and for Houston. And Coach Larinaga, one thing I, I admire about him and what I saw, I've seen in the ACC throughout the year, he has a very good sense of, when to call a college timeout, right? He, he knows when to call a timely timeout in college, when a team is making a run, when you guys need to get galvanized a little bit, get, get things in order, take a breath, take a beat, whatever it is. And in this game, right, Houston, they cut it to two with about 14 minutes to play. They're going on a nice little run. It felt like the tide was turning a little bit. Larinaga takes a timeout. They show the huddle. He's talking directly to Nigel Pack. And Nigel Pack coming out of the huddle, I think he hit back-to-back -back threes. And all of a sudden, right, that yeah. that that apprehension, that that anxiety that you felt in the building where it felt like, OK, here comes Houston. Here comes the one seed we all know. Here comes, you know, the team that's supposed to beat Miami by seven or more points, says Vegas. And Jim Laranega takes his time out. His guys get everything in order. And all of a sudden they come out and, and, they're, and they just keep rolling from there. And I just think that Laranega's ability to know his team and to make coaching decisions in timeouts in game is very underrated. And I think that is the the telltale sign of a really good basketball coach, especially in college. And we keep, we can talk about all the coaches that are left. I know we're going to power rank the Elite Eight at the end of this episode, but Jim Laranega right now, he might have the belt for, you know, if I'm a team and I'm going up against a coach, I'm not sure I want to see Jim Laranega right now because he's got his hand on the pulse of his team. Yeah, he's one of the best in-game coaches. He's one of the best, like, at preparation. And the thing that I, you and I talked about, how, like, Memphis, when they were playing Houston, they got a little cute, like, how they were they were exploiting that uphill pressure that Houston was using, uh, you know, against uh, against their guards, against Memphis's guards. This was a different story where Miami saw every time that Houston tried to come in hard blitz or hard meet at the level against those Miami guards. Alabama did this a little bit earlier in the year, too, interestingly enough. But, like... Every time Houston tried to do that, Miami's guards, whether it was Pack or Wong or whoever, they were just like, okay. They just like waited for the pressure. And then, and they kept running these actions where they were really throwing. Um, I, I think it was uh, they were running like a weak side pin down that fed into a pick and roll. They just got Houston moving and they got them like communicating and, and like, just kind of put them in a blender in a way that you haven't seen many teams do all year and really took care of the ball. That's one of the big things, too, is that, um, you know, this, let's see, overall on turnovers tonight. Yeah, this is an insane stat. Miami only had six turnovers on the night, which is like wow. a really unusual thing. Um, 
they protected the ball and just kind of punked them in a lot of different ways. Like I never really got the feeling, you know, you talked about Jarris Walker had a few moments Rafter recalled it out on the broadcast. He also settled a lot. Mm. He also settled for some tough shots. And sometimes when you take a big risk, you know, take, you put yourself at risk of uh, us saying, unfortunately, that's game. You know, it's kind of <laughs> like getting aggressive in the passing game whenever you're down. You're vulnerable to the interception. That's the only football insight you're going to get from me. It's not really insight. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I just kind of got the I got the vibe that uh, once they started pressing, that like really played into Miami's hands uh, even more because they were just scoring so much more efficiently. It felt like that Jim Laranega was saying, I hope they decide to press us. And as soon as they did, I saw Kelvin Sampson's face just drop. And in fact, earlier in the first half, they did the, you know, in-game little interview with him. And Sampson was like, we got young guys out there. And, uh, you know, I'm worried about our four freshmen. And as soon as he said that, you know, he almost... He almost looked like, you know, he was going to throw up like he was like pale as a ghost. Right. I mean, it, it, it was tough for them. I think this was a really, really tough matchup for Kelvin Sampson. And I think if we talked to him off the record, he would he would say, I can't believe we played a team that good in the Sweet 16. Right. This was the first time you get into the ring. This is when you're supposed to be playing quality teams. Right. You kind of you, you get your feet in the water. You, you feel it out. You see what's going on. But they got into this one, and Miami was like, we expect to win this game. We play like we're going to win this game. And then they absolutely dominated. And Norchad Omir is, I mean, oh, yeah. he's a double-double machine at this point. And he also physically just wears down these teams. And you could see how frustrating he was to Houston. He gets every loose ball. He tips balls out. He tracks it down. He dies on the floor. He does all the little things that you hate, that everybody hates. And when you're playing a team that also has the talent that Miami has in the backcourt, and then you have this gritty guy who's doing all the little stuff. It, it is a terrible combination for anybody playing these guys. And then you throw in the fact they have one of the best coaches, maybe the best coach left in the tournament. They're a scary proposition, and uh, I still can't believe they're a five seed. They did win the ACC, people forget. So shout out to the Miami Hurricanes, and shout out to Coach L, because he went to the crowd in Kansas City. He was throwing up the U. I don't know if he was doing that in front of Jim Nance. I hope not. I know Jim Nance would not appreciate that. But uh, and Coach L was dancing. Kyle, man, did you see that? Did you see Larry Nega dancing after no. the game? It was like the chicken dance or something. It, no, it, was, was. it was something else. I don't know where it was from. We had I, it muted too, so we were watching the other game, and it just it made it look even crazier. I I don't know what. I don't know if it's the polka. I don't know what he. I don't know if he's waltzing. <laughs> of, I don't know what he was. I don't know what he was doing. A lot of meme potential, I would think. Yeah, I it, think we could kind of, you know, it seems like it has a lot of potential. I think yeah. Ringer's already on that. Yeah. I think Ringer's social team's on I feel sure. like you could put, like, the word culture, right, and it could mean two things, right, the connotation. You could show Jerome Tang in Kansas State, and you could show Jim Laranega, right, and, they, and they're just like, the culture of the locker rooms is the same but different. You know what I mean? Like, look at this dance. Look <laughs> at Low Down by Little Baby playing. But we're all moving in the same direction. We're all a team. We're all having fun in the locker room. So, Laranega, he got it done. Coach L with throwing up the U. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, View its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. 
This episode is brought to you by 7-Eleven. Cold slurpy drinks and a hot summer day are a match made in heaven and your favorite refreshment just got even better. Let's talk about 7-Eleven's $1 small slurpy drink with seven rewards. It's the classic frozen fizzy treat you can't get anywhere else. I'm a blue raspberry guy. Just know that about me. Know that about me going forward. Anytime there's a drink like this, I'm in on the blue raspberry. If you're feeling thirsty, feeling thirsty right now, how about going to visit a 7-Eleven valid through 1725? 7-Eleven has the right to end this promotion early, plus tax, participating U.S. stores. See app for full terms. All rights reserved. All right, the last two games of the day, we'll, we'll run through these quickly, and then I want to power rank um, our Elite Eight teams and, and see how we go from there. But Princeton Creighton, um, you know, early in this game, Ian Eagle with a great call goes, Creighton can't miss. And uh, that was because our boy headband Baylor Shireman uh, goes three for three to start this game, Kyle, man. <laughs> and Creighton was kind of off to the races from here. I mean, Princeton gave a good fight, but Creighton is just a better team. They, they were both executing great offense. This was, if you're a shot quality guy, you and I both love shot quality. This was the shot quality all-star game, right? They were they were both getting great shots. They were, gro- at one point, both teams had 30 points in the paint and they had both made eight threes. It was like the Spider-Man meme as a game, but it was just Creighton was, you know, a little bit the better version, the better athletes than Princeton, but at the end of the day, Princeton almost played a better offensive first half than Creighton, right? I mean, Creighton had a nice run to end the half to get the lead, but, you know, I think it was 14-6 run to get the lead, 47-43, to but, I mean, Princeton was great in the first half, and then they kept fighting in the second half. I mean, I, I have to tip my cap to Mitch Henderson and Princeton because they played a great game tonight. Who also got drafted by the Yankees? Did I hear that on the yeah, broadcast? That's what it was they said. like, what? Who is this? He's code. What a what a Renaissance man this guy <laughs> went to went to uh, went to school in Lexington too. I I, I found out there, you there go. was something else that really made me laugh. I heard, laugh. I heard earlier in the sh- in the in the broadcast they were like, yeah, Princeton is going to have to adjust now to Baylor Shireman as a shooter. Adjust? What the hell are you talking? Have you been watching basketball <laughs> for the last couple? Like, sorry, this dude shot like forty seven percent from three last year. He's a little down this year. 30 35.5 anyway you know shouts to shireman we all love him he was he was doing his thing picking his spots they kept trying to they kept trying to attack Kalkbrenner throughout that first half they were like maybe this will be our strategy but like we've said sometimes you can kind of pull yourself out of what you do if you focus too much on some kind of gimmick lane um and and they kind of went away from that they tried it a little bit more at the end of the game um but Kalkbrenner was cracking me up because he just kind of <laughs> seems like he seems like he's celebrating so hard sometimes that like he, he almost seems like he's going to cry. Like he see like I don't I mean like he gets so passionate after some of those dunks and screams and I'm like I mean they were nice plays. He 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 had a lot of awesome plays. It's just he he just kind of seems like he has that Jokic quality where he seems like he he was that kid on the playground who might just like get so mad they kind of get misty eyed you know like he he had he has that energy to me sometimes he also feels like someone that a coach just kept being like get mad get mad and they're just like i you know i I don't really care that much i just tall and i'm here my dad wants me here so i'm i'm playing coach you know leave me alone it's almost like a a lopez energy right like a, a brooke lopez but like a young brooke lopez but 
I, I feel like even in the post-game press conference, he's almost aloof. But like you said, he has these moments where it's like almost like a visceral roar, you know, where you're just like, oh, he really does care a lot. He just, you know, mm-hmm. he just, he just, you know, he shows it in different ways. And, uh, you know, Kyle was even asking me as we were watching the game, he's like, how tall is that guy? I was like, he's 7'1", legit. And I mean, 22 points in this game, he was a difference maker. Obviously, you know, the way that Creighton defends, they're basically like, if you beat me, Fine, we have protection on the back end, right? You know, Ryan Kalkbrenner is going to come over and and take care of the rim for us. And tonight they pulled him out of the three-point line just because of the matchup. But like you said, they, they almost leaned into it a little bit too much. Um, one of my favorite moments, first off, I love the Creighton hockey assist, right? Creighton is the kings of, you know, good pass to great pass, and we get a great shot because of it. And I love that that's how they play. We saw that a lot tonight. Uh, Shireman is the king of that, right? He's a great connector on the court. Wanted to point that out. But McDermott, um, I, I was I was fascinated by the coaches tonight. I, I was keeping an eye on everyone. But McDermott pulls uh, Ryan Nimhart over. The, they're about 52 to 45 at that point, seven, 1750 to play in the second half. Puts his arm around him, kind of gives him the, all right, we, we need to buckle down here. We need to play some defense. We need to get things organized. We need to control this game. Let's play our pace, all those sorts of things. But it was a very Tom Izzo. It gave me Tom Izzo vibes where he like puts the arm around him. And then all of a sudden, Nimhard comes right back. Um, he hits like a little floater. And, uh, you know, Ian Eagle even pointed out, he's like, message received right there for Ryan Nimhard, right? So <laughs> I, I just felt like yeah. there were some moments there too where like, Creighton could sort of feel, you could feel the anxiety for Creighton as they're thinking about, all right, this is our program's first Elite Eight. All these guys came here to make a tournament run. Now it's right there in front of them to take it. But Princeton's not going away, of course, because Princeton's a tough team. So McDermott did a good job of kind of keeping everyone cool, right? He kind of kept everyone like, all right, guys, let's just play our game. Let's get out of here with the win, and then we'll deal with the the emotions and the feelings, you know, on the back end of this. So I just wanted to point out McDermott did a great job in this game because it could have got away from them. And, uh, you know, there were times in this game where you thought Prince, that Ryan Langborn was amazing. Right. Kyle's in love with Ryan Langborn. He just kept... I kept getting confused with that dude, Blake, who looked like missed every shot he took. Right. I was like, which one is he? Blake was taking too many shots, but Ryan Ryan was great. As, these are the Princeton players, you know what I mean, as we talk about them. They just go by first-name basis. But uh, they were doing, you know, all they could to hang around in this game. But, um, you know, Baylor Shireman, he banked in the three to take the 66-52 lead, um, and then he did the shrug to the crowd. And I thought that was that was my... I, I should have texted you right then, Kyle, <laughs> man. I should have said, unfortunately, that's game. And then that would have been it. Yeah. We should put, yeah, we should get, like, make a gif of him shrugging like that and put, unfortunately, that's game <laughs> unfortunately, under it. I, I would game. use that. Yeah. You you mentioned the passing and the shooting. Like I've said before, we don't yet have tracking to the point where we can track secondary assists in college basketball, but they do a great job of it. Yeah, 18 assists tonight. And they the shots that they took were pretty, just good shots. I, I, I felt like they were under control a lot tonight. Nine for 24 from three for 37 and a half percent. Um, overall, I mean, they they obviously won the defensive rebounding battle. Um, but ultimately, Cockbrenner just pl- being there, just being like a gravitational <laughs> right. force on the court, I was, was a big thing. And Princeton looked kind of daunted at times, like understandably. Like, you know, I don't know if they have a, a, a functional, competent big quite that big. Um, Awoma at different times tried to attack him in the second half. I don't know that they did that enough. He had a big game, 24 points and 10 for 22. And he actually went two for four from uh, from three. Uh, and nine assists. So he puts a, you know, Princeton played really well, you know, and I, I'm sure Creighton was thinking, 
you know, even if we do make it to, to the Sweet 16, even if we do have an opportunity to make it this far, surely we'll be playing in Arizona or one of the big blue bloods. You play who's in front of you, man. Uh, you know, sometimes it breaks, like sometimes it'd be like that. And like, this is uh, an odd year uh, and, and it's an exciting thing for them. Of all the good teams that they've had, uh, they finally made it. They couldn't complete for their lives an alley oop to, uh, to Arcaluma. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, but <laughs> they tried that about five times. And I, I was texting you. I was like, the yeah. time that they finally get this to work out, that will be game. Uh, the, but then Baylor Shireman yeah. threw it in off the backboard, and the the rest is history there. So uh, a quick a history note. Of course note. he did. Yeah, of course he did. And uh, Baylor Shireman after the game said it was a dream come true. This is what he came to Creighton to do, all that sort of stuff. As two blue blood guys that wanted to recruit Ouch. Baylor Shireman. You were right, Baylor. You went to the right school. You went to the right system and you made it work. This is the first Elite Eight since 1941 for Creighton. And the funny caveat about that is they were just in a tournament with eight teams. So it's not like they did anything to make the Elite Eight. They just showed up and played. So this is their real first Elite Eight. <laughs> I mean, this is a big deal. I mean, I I, I thought that they had made an Elite good. Eight before, you know? So I, I just wanted to shout out the Blue Jays. They're great fans. I saw them in Maui. They promised me that they were going to make a run in March. I obviously did not listen to them. I did not pick them in any bracket to do this. And here we are, Elite Eight. They started the season 9-8. and eight. Now they're the, now that they are in the Elite Eight. So um, what a journey for Greg McDermott. What a journey for the Creighton Blue Jays. The best starting five in the country, in my opinion, and they continue to live up to that. Uh, shout out to Mitch Henderson, came on the podcast. Uh, great guy. We had some nice Princeton vintage backdoor cuts, right? We had some, you know, some great second chance points, just some, you know, clinical stuff from Princeton that you always see. Um, and, you know, I, I'm excited for Princeton, right? They're, they're going to be able to change the the pictures in the gym of this Sweet 16 year, take down uh, Coach Henderson's leap. He said he wanted that he's picture. Been begging him, he, said. he does not like that picture. He, he's like, that is the least athletic thing I've ever done. Do you remember I got drafted by the Yankees? Um, <laughs> but hey, look, congratulations <laughs> to Princeton. They made it to the Sweet 16. Congratulations <laughs> to the Jays. Final game of the day, Kyle, man. We don't have to talk about this one long. This was an absolute, I mean, just kind of a stinker, right? Last game of the day. Um, this was the Marcus Carr show to start the game. This was not the Xavier show to start the game. They start the game one for 13 from the field. Uh, Sule Boom, if you didn't know this, Rodney Terry uh, recruited him back at UTEP. They have a relationship with each other. Rodney Terry decided to pay homage to that relationship by getting Tyrese Hunter to pick him up full court the entire game. And uh, he did not have a good game. Uh, Tyrese Hunter had a great game defensively. Xavier just looked lost. Sean Miller looked lost. Uh, Rodney Terry, he is doing a great job. If you were a part of the Rodney Terry full-time head coach brigade, you are very happy with what he's done so far in this tournament. They just dominated this game from top to bottom. Adam Kunkel... Adam Kunkel did his best to try to make some fight happen, but this was just dominating domination he, from Texas. He was frustrated, and that, I thought that was indicative of of the of Xavier's whole kind of vibe. They they couldn't stay in front of him. They couldn't get past him. It was both directions. But uh, you know, you talk about Rodney Terry. We got to shout out this guy's glasses. I mean, <laughs> he's great. got the incredible LL Cool J in any given Sunday glasses on. Just a just a stylish man. I just want to say, you know, shout out to him on that front. You know, some people Tate are going to have you. They're going to lecture you on Twitter and be like, "The last five games don't matter. None of that matters mm -hmm. with the NCAA tournament." Well, yeah, it Kim does Pom. matter because yep. Texas. 
Texas has turned it on. They have. We talked about them turning it on defensively. Uh, they Coming into this game, they were first in defending above the break threes, and they were second in the country in at-rim field goal percentage. So 22% from above for above the break threes and at the rim, 52.2. That is how you choke out an offense, people. Like That's the main hallway of an offense that you want to take away. You don't want anybody shooting dribble pull-up threes, and you don't want them scoring easily at the basket. And that is what that's why I think we're going to do the rankings here in a minute on the broadcast. They Grant Hill said he thought they were the favorite. Texas has a lot of guards. They didn't even have DeSue tonight, who like saved them last time around. Um, I just they are just defending the shit out of it. They demoralized Xavier tonight, man. Yeah, and they got depth too. I mean, you know, Timmy Allen hit a buzzer beater right before halftime to give them a 17 point lead. It just felt like a joke at that point. It felt like Texas was going to win by 30 points. The Marcus card to Bishop lob, right? Bishop was a transfer from Creighton. I mean, th- that was a whole nother wrinkle. Brock Cunningham is kind of the perfect glue guy, right? The definition of one, the guy that does all the little stuff and continue to do so. I mean, at one point in this game, he had a steal. He throws it ahead. Serge Jabari Rice goes for the dunk. That gave them a 10-point lead. It was 26-16 to 16 at that point. And I said, as we do, Kyle, unfortunately, that's game. Um, and this is in the first half <laughs> with about six minutes to play. That's how dominant Texas was. Um, their defense, like you said, was swarming. They have depth, 26 bench points, right? And they could have had more. I mean, they... they To five, <laughs> to five for Xavier. You're talking about wearing down. You got to have your five first five score and you're going against that defense. Yeah, five bench points tonight. And Xavier leads the country in team assists. They average about 19 assists per game. They had three assists in the first half, right? They they could just not figure it out. And it goes back to Tyrese Hunter on Sule Boom. I thought they did a great job. He's the one that kind of creates the, the havoc for Xavier's offense. He initiates everything from them. And when he can't get the ball up past half court without having to, you know, get some oxygen, that that's what you're dealing with. And it was kind of an old school bully ball way, the, the way that they play defense and um, that you got to respect Texas. You got to respect Rodney Terry at this point. You got to respect the depth of that team. And, you know, Serge Barry Rice is doing the raise the roof celebration to the crowd. There's a lot of Texas people in the crowd. I don't know, Kyle, man, as I'm watching this game, I, like you were saying, Grant Hill was talking about who the number one team is. Texas is they're They're putting the resume up that, that has my attention. Um, and should we get into that? Should we power rank the Elite Eight? I feel like it's about time. I, th- that's enough for that game. I mean, shout out to Sean Miller. First year at you know at Xavier, gets to the Sweet 16. Texas, they're reaching new heights with Rodney Terry. And uh, all right, now we got eight teams. Obviously, we got the Elite Eight. So I'm going to read the teams out for us. We got San Diego State. We got Kansas State. We got UConn. We got Gonzaga. We got Miami. We got FAU. We got Creighton. And we got Texas. So if you had that in your bracket, you're a liar. No one did. Um, no one in this entire world had that in their bracket. I think it's amazing. It's great for the tournament. Um, it's great for college basketball. New fla- new faces in unfamiliar places. That's what we want. Um, Kyle, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the honors to you, and we'll start. We'll work our way up to number one. So we'll start at number eight. So who do you have as your number eight team in the Elite Eight? And again, these are the Elite Eight. So putting someone at eight Obviously, it does not look great, but it also is one of those things that's inevitable because there's only eight teams left. So we'll start with you. Number eight for you on the board. I mean, I hesitate to do this because they just keep they keep getting the job done. But I mean, I'm going to I'm going to say FAU is going to be my eighth team. And this is for for a group of teams that nobody picked. I I had I kind of thought about it for a second. I thought about like, is Creighton going to be able to guard FAU cuz they they're a little bit more athletic, they're a little bit more wiggly and shaky, can hit threes, you know, than Princeton. 
that'll be interesting to see, but I'm an eye of FAU at eight. FAU feels like inevitably just because of the brand recognition, just because they haven't been here before, just because the expectation is that they're not going to get over the hump. I think FAU at eight is fine. But if you are someone that believes in Kim Palm, FAU is number 17 on Kim Palm. Kansas State is number 20 on Kim Palm. And the team that is in last place of the Elite Eight on Kim Palm is Miami, which is surprising to me. But Kim Palm does not like the ACC. Kim Palm especially does not like Miami because of their defense. I think their defense has gotten a lot better. But they're at number 26. Oh, yeah. I'm still going to, you know, I'm not going to disrespect the Florida teams. I'm going to put FAU at eight as well. Um, no disrespect to Dusty, Dusty May, but I think that makes the most sense. All right, now it gets interesting, Kyle, man. Now we, now we have real questions about these teams. Number seven for you, um, as we work through our Elite Eight, our power rankings of the Elite Eight. Why, why don't you pick? You, why don't we, why don't you right. want to just go back yeah, and let's forth? Go. Should we you put a lot it? of pressure on oh, me yeah, to I'm rank sorry. mine. Okay. I don't want yeah. to. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm fascinated. I mean, I, I could honestly, I could argue a million <laughs> different ways. All right, number seven for me. Man, this is it's really tough because when you beat the number one overall seed, right, you deserve to to kind of take on, um, you know, that aura a little bit and carry on. Um, so I, I, I feel like San Diego State would be there, but I'm not going to put San Diego State. I'm going to give them their due respect. <sighs> Man, this is really tough. You know what? I'm actually going to recant my statement. I'm going to put San Diego State <laughs> there at number seven. I think San Diego State <laughs> is number seven on my list. I think they're a good team, but that, that's where they are. I thought you were picking between Creighton and, and uh, Kansas State. Um, I uh, I think Kansas State would be next for me. Um, I, I think that these are teams... That, this this bracket, I thought, was pretty wide open. I thought it was pretty favorable. Like, you know, once, once some of these heavier hitters were out, I thought this was a pretty clear path. This is why I was kind of talking myself into Kentucky maybe doing it after Kentucky having a god-awful year. Um, but I, I would pick K-State. You want to talk about... I mean, Marquise Noel has been, I was just re-watching some of his assists today just for pleasure, like not even for any reason. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, I, I'm try, I've been trying to get a read on whether or not he was intentionally distracting the defense so that he could, uh, with Jerome Tang, uh, that little, you know, whatever that was, kerfuffle thing. And then he throws the, the lob to Keontae. Uh, a lot of bravado on that too. Right. Not only to dunk that, but to go reverse. Mm. Risky move by Keontae, a lot like you know, big cojones. I, I liked it. Yeah, and I also like the fact that we we saw the post game last night, and if you watch the replay, he looks over um, at Isaiah Thomas, uh, you know, the the OG Detroit Bad Boy Pistons Isaiah Thomas. He looks over at him and he says, "Watch this," and he gets down there, and Jerome Tang says don't watch this, actually run this play. And then he said, no, screw you. I just I just told all these guys as I'm running up the court to watch this. And then as they were arguing, I think Keontae just cut because he's like, I'm, I'm over the conversation and the rest is history. I mean, it's tough because Kansas State with Noel, with Keontae Johnson, it's hard not to fall in love with these guys. And they're obviously playing in MSG. They're playing against FAU. And, you know, that's, a, that's an odd matchup, but it might be a fun matchup. But I have the Wildcats as my number six team. Um, that that's where that's where I'm going to put them. So uh, you know, that's with all due respect to, to Marquise Noel, but I do think that they're that's where I have them right now. I know the Wildcats fans will be upset with me. They're they're going to point out Jerome Tang and how great of a coach he's been. I think he's been the coach of the year, but it's tough. This is the Elite Eight. So who do you have at number six? Uh, I'm going to go Creighton. I'm going to okay. go Creighton. Um, yeah. So. 
I, I think it's going to kind of come down to the athleticism. I think in the top tier, these remaining teams could become a problem for, for Creighton. And we talked about how amazing the Big East has been this year. Um, and that is bearing out in this tournament. Um, and I just, uh, that would be the differentiating thing for me. Creighton, I think, could, could put up a good fight. As we know, they're efficient in what they like to do. We've seen them play high majors really well um, this season. They have the size. This is the Creighton team, I feel like, that of all the Creighton teams, um, has the kind of roster build and the athletes to go toe-to-toe with these teams. So if there's a time to do it, it's now. But uh, mm. I'm going to go ahead and put them next for me. Okay, got that. I, I'm right there with you. I'm going to follow course. I got Creighton at five for me. Um, you know, it, it's one of those things where I love their starting five, but I'm worried about their depth. And as soon as they get matched up with a team that can exploit that depth, I think they're going to have some trouble. Um, especially if a team can pick up the pace on them and, uh, you know, make them get a little tired, get a little worn out. So I got them at number five for me. Um, we're at number five for you right now. This is, this is crunch time because now I feel like it's, it's kind of like preferential at this point, you know, what team do you, have you always believed in is the team that you do believe in. And if you just look at Kim Palm, like I said, UConn, number one, Kim Palm, um, Texas, number five, Gonzaga, number six. Um, and Miami, number 26. So that, that's his own bag of worms. But uh, now we got four teams, right, that, that we're looking at. We so got- Texas, Miami, UConn, Gonzaga. Who, who do we think of these teams? Um, for me, I would say, man, this is pretty tough. God. Right. This is really tough. I, I, this could go any way, and I would not be surprised, especially after the chaotic tournament that we've had, obviously. Um, you know... Do you think the, the question I think that this could hinge on is do you think that Gonzaga is going to be able to defend? We know they can score if they run up against a Texas or UConn looked pretty dominant against against, you know, I guess Arkansas was just a great matchup for Kansas is kind of what it feels like it's boiling down to. Those teams were kind of similar. I don't know. Do you do you think Gonzaga is going to be able to score? Are are they going to be able to score against these tough defenses? Is kind of what I'm wondering. Yeah, I think Gonzaga kind of has a similar ceiling to Creighton, so they're they're my number four. I think they're right there. I think they obviously they have the player in Drew Timmy, where Drew Timmy can be the best player on the court to use that trope, and maybe they can go and win a game in that sense. But I worry. I'm just looking at the matchup too with UConn. Those two bigs terrify me for Drew Timmy, and I think UConn just got more depth, more shooters. Uh, more athleticism, more of everything, really. Um, the one thing that I worry about with UConn, as I have said the entire tournament, is Dan Hurley. If Dan Hurley, you know, go, gets unhinged and gets a technical foul, and that ends up being the difference in the game, <laughs> then that that will be the the one thing that I am like kicking myself about. But because Mark Few is a better coach, but yeah, I think Gonzaga at four makes the most sense because of that athleticism and because of that defense, right? Yeah, and I would go UConn next. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe that's stupid. Um, I, I, I just kind of feel like Miami's perimeter matchup for UConn is going to be tougher than Arkansas's was because I think Miami's guards are more physical. Um, but the Sonogo and Klingon, you know, combo, I think is interesting. Like you were talking about going up against Gonzaga. I would have UConn next. I feel like I could flip-flop UConn or Miami here. I feel like U- UConn is a more like complete balanced team. But I like Miami's guards a little better, so I'm going to go ahead and lean UConn here. But, you, you know, Miami's, if those two teams played, 
that that would be interesting just to see them kind of coming downhill against those behemoths and Sonogo and Klingon. Yeah, that's what I think I'm partial to the bigs and I think about, you know, Omir and I think that UConn could get Miami in trouble with Norchad Omir. I don't know if he could have the kind of impact with both those guys rotating in and him having to deal with both of them. And they're they're so dominant. They're so big. They're so different. They're, they're such a load to deal with. So, you know, when I look at it like that, I have Miami at three. I have UConn at two. And I think that that leads us to the team that we think is the best team right now in the Elite Eight. And that is Texas. And look, I don't think a lot of people would have said that even when you looked at this regional. Houston was the de facto team we all looked to. There were some conversations about Texas maybe upsetting Houston in the Elite Eight. That was the most that the Texas conversations really got to. Me, myself, I, th- I thought they could have some problems with Colgate, right, in the first round. But this is a different <laughs> Texas group. They're connected. They seem to like each other. Rodney Terry's getting the best out of them. And they play great defense. And they have the guard play. And we know how that works in March. Experience of the oldest team in the tournament. Um, they have the bigs that they, you know, they have the fouls that they're going to need if they play against a UConn. And the more that you keep, you know, you and I keep talking about it, and the more I keep watching Texas play, and they could throw you off your game too, right? That that's the other part of this team. And they have kind of like, you know, a, a, a Vinny Johnson microwave type player in Marcus Carr. He can just go off for thirty points and win you a game, kind of like what Caleb Love did last year for Carolina against UCLA. So you, Texas just checks all the boxes as you go through it. And uh, I did not think both of us would have Texas as number one, but here we are. Texas, the number one team in the Elite Eight. Yeah, the only thing I've gotten right, my only remaining Final Four team from my bracket is Miami. And I, do you ever just look at this bracket and just think like how young and naive we were? <laughs> like you know, some of the choices, some of the choices I made through here, I'm just like, what the fuck were you thinking, Kyle? Like, uh, yeah, I, I had Texas going out to Penn State. I don't know, I don't know what that's about. You know, um, just just a lot of baffling choices. Uh, my my bracket's out there if you want to ridicule me, but we're all getting ridiculed. I, it was it was an airball. We're all but dumb. Yeah, we're we're all idiots. It's, it happens. It's been the sweetest airball though, you know, because <laughs> I I live to see the world burn, man. I just I love the chaos, and also as a blue blood, we can kind of say this part under our breath. Uh, no other blue blood is winning a title, tight, right? Which is good for us. That's right. good for business. That's yeah. good, you know. It's good for everybody, and especially because last year we had a very blue blood Final Four. I think it's fine to take a break, let the new blood step in, let the lowercase blue bloods have their day. And again, of the Elite Eight teams, there's only one team with a national championship, and that is UConn. And the last time they were in the Elite Eight in 2014, guess what? They won the national championship. So UConn is a team that, uh, you know, you look at the boxes, you check the boxes, you see something, you know, that could happen. Also, I wanted to point out that uh, the Maui Invitational, the tournament that I went to at the start of the year, Two teams from the Maui Invitational are in the Elite Eight playing each other, Creighton and San Diego State. And uh, the team that actually won that tournament lost to Princeton in the first round. So I uh, make it make sense. It doesn't make any sense. But uh, here we are, two teams from Maui in the Elite Eight. The champion of the tournament is not even in the tournament anymore. In fact, lost in the first round to Princeton. So I'll say that again to make it make sense. That's how insane this tournament has been. Um, is in, in the power rankings of things you love, Tate, where is Maui? Is it top Top ten is it top five? Oof. Is it top three? You it's, you got a lot of you, you could even I might start calling you Maui. Maui Fraser has a please, nice ring to it. Please. I just Maui feel State. like you you kind of uh, my my goal is to live in Maui and uh, and just be away from everyone. And and you guys are invited. Come see me whenever you like. I heard it's expensive. A lot of you got to import a lot of things, right? Right. Well, that's I got to find. You I've know. heard they don't want us there. 
Yeah. No, they definitely don't. They definitely don't. But Chris Berman is there, and I'm I'm just like Chris Berman. Can I be a plus one? Can I can I be your Cato Kalen? Can I live in your back house? Like, can I be in your guest house? Can I can I can I make a life out there? And I'll cover the tournament, the Lahaina Civic Center, whenever they want me to. I love Maui. Um, I feel like Bill Walton a little bit, but I mean, it, it is the best tournament just as far as like seeing these teams. You get the eye test. You get the airport test. You get any test you want to pass. You see how the coaches interact with the players. You learn about the personality traits of these coaches. I personally fell in love with Mick Cronin back in 2019. This is back in a time where no one thought he should ever be the coach at UCLA. I watched him for one night and I said, this man gets it. I don't, <laughs> I don't know why he's the coach of UCLA. I don't know how this happened, <laughs> but I am happy to be here for the ride. So Maui just, you know, there's a lens into to what is to come, what could be the magic of Maui, all good things. Um, all right, there he is. Uh, we just broke down everything that happened in the Sweet 16. This is day two. Um, Kyle, man, anything else before we get out of here? Nope, I've uh, I've had a good time, and I'm looking forward to these matchups coming up, man. It's it's been it has delivered. I've enjoyed the carnage. Hopefully yeah, there's more. It's good carnage. Uh, it's a good tournament. It's a late evening for you right now, so it's you know East Coast time for you. We want you to get to bed. We want you to get some rest. We appreciate you joining. It was tough last night. I'm not gonna lie. I was talking to myself. Kyle's looking at me like a madman. I felt like a madman. I'm happy that you feel better, and I'm happy that we can talk basketball again because that's what I needed. I, I feel like the ship is, is is sorted, and we're moving in the right direction again. Yeah, I heard you slandering Nike basketball as you said some just <laughs> utter bullshit about them, about them being stretched. Mm. I don't even know what that was. Mm. Uh, a Nike. You, uh, I just want to say really quickly, I do agree with you about standardizing the the evo whatever the evo's the pick just because it's ubiquitous that's why it's the pick i've been playing with a group for 10 years and we've been using a nike indoor ball and they love it people are conditioned and i'm just going to say also straight out of the box a nike ball feels the way an evo ball feels like after like a lot of use that's all i'm saying i just i, I don't people the prejudice against the nike ball it wears me out, Tate. It wears me out a little bit. I'm just saying Nike balls are pretty great. If they're good enough for, for the Blue Bloods, it's good enough for me. Yeah. That's all I'm going to say. I will say, Kyle, man, I, I, as someone that played in the Dean Dome, I appreciated the Nike balls because they would hit the rim and there was a softness to them. Like you said, they're, they're worn in. They're probably number two, but there's just a huge gap. That there, there's a major gap for me between a Wilson Evolution and the Nike ball. And all I'm saying is if uh, we all know the Wilson Evolution is the best ball, then why why are we trying to fight it? Why why do we not want to use it? It feels like something that Condoleezza Rice is going to figure out for us or, or someone in the higher <laughs> ups. So I just wanted to point it out. And I appreciate it. You texted me and you were like, I got thoughts on the Nike ball. And I was like, I don't even know what I said. I'm passionate. So. <laughs> I appreciate I'm passionate passion. about it. I appreciate it. Yeah. If somebody throws a bad ball to me, I just kind of like, don't, I just pretend it didn't come my way. I'm, I'm a ball uh, aficionado. I'm just going to say, I, I, yeah, but I, you know, Evo's fine, but yeah, I, I got, I got, I got takes. Yeah. We can do balls. better. We can do better. We all have takes on balls. There you go. I like go. an Under Armour ball. Played with that in college. That was great. Yeah. Make Ky great footballs too. Kyle, come on. Yeah. What, Kyle, Kyle, I'm Kyle, just saying, if Kyle's we got trying to get some Under Armour gear, this he's is just to, posterity. Yeah. I'm just trying to throw everything out there. I, mean, I don't want anybody to feel It's great for the Maryland fans. If you're a Maryland fan, uh, Kyle is on your side. Kyle Creighton himself. So there you go. Yeah, that's right. He's Kyle Mann. Kyle Mann, thanks that's so much for coming want. on the show. And uh, you'll be back tomorrow, right? We're going to recap the Elite Eight. Is this happening or will you stay up late again? Don't fuck around, Kyle. Let's do it, man. Let's do it. Let's do it. I'm, I'm down. Perfect. I'm going to be watching. 
Yeah. Let's do it. All right, there you go. Well, I think I, actually I'm expected to do it, so I'll, I'll, I'm going to do it. You're like, I'm contractually obligated. But I would I anyway. But I would anyway. <laughs> I'll tell you. you know, it's one of those things. <laughs> yeah. This ain't work. Yeah. This well, ain't work. Well, this is great times. He is Kyle Mann. Uh, this has been the second day of the Sweet 16. Appreciate you, Kyle Mann, and we will see you tomorrow night. See ya. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.